Welcome to Hearthside Salons, talks and conversations to feed your creative fire. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you a guest worth listening to. As we move through this period of an historic shift in awareness, I wanted to look beyond black and white to the spaces in between. Munya Ayachi is an exceptional Euro-Arab actress who speaks multiple languages and has lived all over the world. When she learned about her grandparents' experiences escaping the Nazis in World War II, she had to write about it. Today, we talk about fitting in, standing out, and dealing with what are you-ism. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I've known you since that very first music video that we did together where you showed up and were just such a professional and such a like, I don't even, I don't remember how we got a hold of you in the first place when we cast you. Oh, how did you? It must've been a referral. It, it must've like been. A, like some, you knew somebody that I knew and then somebody said, hey, there's this thing and it must've been something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. That's the thing with LA though. It's I like, know. how do we know each other? You I know? don't even know. Yeah. So, and then I just remember like that day was so much fun and like you ended up, you kind of rose to the top as like the leader of the girls, like the, the actors that we had. And I was like, okay, this lady knows her stuff and she's like really great to work with. So then the next couple of videos that we did with that same band, I was like, I'm just bringing Monia back. <laughs> so um, I don't I forget. I think we've done like four videos together now I think it was four yeah so much fun every time it's different every time but like it was it was amazing, it was amazing. yeah I always love seeing you so it's oh. always I love the space one yes that, that one so um when we did that when the day we shot that I was recovering from a horrible flu and <laughs> I felt so so terrible and my little niece was she's my niece she's my cousin but she's like age younger like a niece so my my little cousin was visiting me from the east coast and i brought i had her with me like as an assistant that was such a weird like random day but anyway, that was a fun nobody yeah. could tell you were sick oh well you killed it um acting for green screen because that was like so weird that, that was, was my second time acting for green screen it, it's it's such an interesting thing because like I, I really like it because you really get to to use your imagination but then you have to be super precise right because like if you move too much one way or too much the other way then you're ruining the entire shot you know yeah. so it's 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 great that little place was great yeah we really like that i can't remember what it's called but that's fine we're not here to promote it <laughs> yeah, yeah so um you grew up in Brussels, right? I did. Yeah. Tell me, like, obviously, I mean, I, as someone, Carlo and I both have our, our Italian citizenship. We're a little Euro obsessed. Um, but, you know, like, you don't have any accent on your English. So it's kind of like, okay, how did you do that? How did you grow up there speaking 17 million languages? And then, like, tell me about your childhood. Like, what was it like when you were a kid in Brussels? So, um, very interesting, uh, just because I grew up with two very different cultures, right? Like, my mom is Belgian, like, white, and if you go back, there were Jews from Poland. Okay. And my dad is Tunisian, so, like, Arab and was, you know, was raised in a Muslim country by Muslim parents and all of that. And then here I am. 
Um, so it was, it was very, it, it was a kind of a dual thing, you know, this, this entire time. Cause like those cultures, it's not that they don't go together, but it's a lot of disagreements, you know, right. it's like, yes, she can wear that. No, she can't wear that. Yes. She can go there. No, she can't go there. Um, so it was, it was interesting, but I learned how to cut, how to play the system. Right. So uh. to play it to my, to my advantage. Um, so it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was good. You know, I didn't know any, anything else. Um, but I, you know, I went to a nice school and we lived in a nice house and, you know, so it was, it was good in that, in that aspect I really can't complain. And then every summer we'd go to Tunisia and spend a month there. We have a house. Um, we, my dad, I'm like, we, I just made it my own. Um, have, my dad has a house that's right on the beach in like a little village so we would go. I know you love the Mediterranean. I was going to say, so, yeah. so when are we all going to your dad's beach house? I know, right? Not right now. No. You know, but maybe next year. Um, so I would go there and spend time with my family. And I have like gazillion cousins. My, my mom's family is like 10 people. My dad's family is like 500. Wow. So when you go to a wedding in Tunisia, it's very funny because I'm like, oh, I'm the cousin of the cousin of the cousin of the cousin of the aunt of the goat of the blah, blah, blah. And I remember you as a baby. And I'm like, who are you? You know, but then we have the same last name and it's super weird. You know, so it's giant, giant, giant families. Like my dad had like 11 uncles and, you know, like, so there are so many people that I still don't really know and I get some random Facebook requests and it's like hey I'm the cousin of the cousin of the cousin of the cousin you know and I'm like I don't know who you are oh um so so yeah it's so very very different like and Tunisian culture like Tunisian like kind of like warm and you know very family oriented and like not that Belgians are not but like it's more like European it's a little bit colder it's a little bit yeah it's reserved it's reserved right it's like it's not a lot of like hugging and not a lot of yeah you know and Tunisians among like the same sex are very like touchy feely. Like they'll be like holding hands and like, you know, but then with the opposite sex, it's like, you know, don't, don't come close, at least not in public. Right. You know? So it's so interesting. Like when I think about my child, I'm like, I'm like, this is, this wow. is really, really, really interesting to, to grow up with that. With that yeah. Family, you know, for sure. How did your parents meet? So my dad, came to Belgium to study. So he was the first, he was the second one to leave Tunisia. Um, God, God knows when that was. My dad is old. Um, he had me really old. Um, so he went to Belgium and then he was in school and my mom's, so my grandfather was the principal of that school. Oh. And he was super exotic. And this was at a time where there were not a lot of Arabs and you know, Belgians don't really look like curly hair and dark and right. And like, not at all. Not at all. Right. And so she was like, Oh, I like that. Uh, and, uh, but they were like seven years, eight years, eight years apart. So he was in his like mid twenties and she was still a teenager. <laughs> like here, here he would have been arrested, but like back then it was fine. So did you feel equally at home as a kid in the European culture of Belgium and in the culture of Tunisia or like, were you aware that you were kind of floating like in both? And that's, that's such an interesting question. Um, I think I felt mostly Belgian everywhere. Um, cause in Tunisia, like I'm a little whiter than the typical Tunisian just cause my mom's like white and blue eyes and blonde hair. So I didn't get a lot of the, of the color. 
Um, and because I spent all year in Belgium, I think I was definitely like 95% Belgian and then 5% Tunisian, you know? Um, yeah, I think that, that it's, it's kind of like the story of my life. Like I always feel like a foreigner somewhere, right? Like I was kind of like a foreigner in Tunisia and in Belgium, I didn't get much discrimination just because I didn't really look too Arab, but like my sister, for example, looked more Arab, looks more Arab than I, than I do. And so she got a little bit more, more mm. of, that, um, of that side. So I would, yeah, I would say 95% Belgian, 5% Tunisian. And then as I, as I grew older, um, I feel, I feel both, right? Like I, I feel both definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have that with, I mean, obviously I'm not like, I didn't grow up with in Italian or anything like that, but I have that feeling of like, I don't quite belong here because I have so much of my soul there. And then when I'm over there, I'm obviously not an Italian by birth. So like, I don't quite fit in there either. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's that. And also like Tunisia, I mean, it is, it is a Muslim country and the house that we have is in a very small village. And so a lot of the women there wear the hijab and, and um, they swim fully clothed. Right. And then here we come in our bikinis. Right. You no. Know, so we kind of stuck out like sore thumbs, right. It was like, Oh, there are the, you know, they're your yeah. crazy, you know? So he was like, he was like, you can't go to the beach without your cousin. Like we always, we always have to have a man with us you know and, and wherever we went and I'm like oh my god like I think that's why I became such a feminist you know I'm like I can do things on my own you know <laughs> so um so yeah definitely yeah definitely more more European than than Tunisian um and then because my dad was the only one in Belgium like we didn't have a lot of the culture right it was just right you know and my mom's family was there so we got definitely more influence yeah. from, from Did- so did you like, did, were there la- all the languages in your household or did you sort of acquire those as you went? So in Belgium, depending on, on where you are in the country, you either learn French first or Dutch first. Um, I was in Brussels. This is going to drive the Dutch people crazy because Brussels is actually in Flanders, like geographically, right, right. but it, it is a majority of French, French speaking people. Sorry. Um, so, um, my first language was French. And then when we're about six years old, we learned Dutch. So then that was my second. And then Arabic, um, I picked up just by being in Tunisia. My dad didn't speak Arabic to us, which I think was a huge mistake. Sorry, it was. Um, so I had to pick it up like in Tunisia. And then as I, as I grew older, I had to learn it uh, on my own and then be like, Hey, so how, how do you say this again? And you know, so my Arabic could be a lot better than it is had he spoken yeah. Arabic to me. Big mistake. Uh, and then the Spanish we learn when we're 16, I'm going to say. But then after that, I traveled the world. And that's where I, I learned more Spanish. Like there, there's no better way to learn a language than actually living in the yes. country. And I lived in Spain and I lived in Argentina and Chile and so I definitely picked up those languages there and then Portuguese because I lived almost a year in Brazil. I lived like 10 wow. months in Brazil. Um, yeah, I was traveling with Cirque du Soleil, a little known, little known facts. Uh, I wasn't in it. People were like, oh my gosh, what were you doing in it? I was like, oh, I was traveling. Um, the person I was with at the time was uh, 
perform. Yeah. I was and like, I, that, that's when you're supposed to stop and just go, oh, this, and just do a backflip or something. Yeah, but I, I can't, maybe not a back, backflip, because I was a gymnast when I was younger, but like not at that level. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so, so I picked up, I picked up those languages along the way. Um, Amazing. And I love languages, it's like music. Yeah. You know, I think that's why it's so, because I, I studied music before I studied anything else. And I think like everything is just sounds and, you know, and it's like waves and, and something really funny is in any language, if I haven't heard the word before, I don't know how to say it. Right. Yeah. So in English, same thing where I can totally mimic it and repeat it. But if I've never heard it, I'd be like, I don't know. And this happened to me last week. For whatever reason, I had never heard the word vineyard, like never. And I said vineyard. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it was, should be. Right, right. But because I, because nobody had ever, had ever said it. So I think I'm just, I just copy. You're an auditory learner. Yeah, 100%. I, yeah. I barely studied in school. I just sat, listened, and then I would remember. And it was wow. like, my sister crazy. She'd be like, why do you remember everything? Because I wouldn't really study at home. It's just that when you, when you have that, it's easy. You just sit and listen. That's really funny. I, um, I read a ton as a kid and I, so I knew what words meant and everything, but sometimes I didn't know how they were pronounced because I'd never heard them. And I, that happened with the word truculent. I thought it was trucellent because that's what it looks like. That's what and, and then I think I was in college and someone said it and I was like, what word are you saying? What is that? And I looked it up. I'm like, Oh, that's that word. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of those in English, by the way. Oh yeah. Looks, Let's apologize. Like, like recipe. Yeah. Like seriously, why? Yeah. Why? It no, it doesn't. It doesn't look like that. Same thing with vineyard. But now I know how to say it because I've heard it. So now I'm like, oh, I will never say it wrong again. You're a lifelong learner. I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. So, like in your household, as when you were growing up, what, did your parents expect you to? have any particular um, career trajectory or did they, or did they encourage you as an artist or were they like, Oh no, she wants to be an artist. Oh my God. They encouraged me in the opposite direction of what I ended up doing. Um, they were like, you do anything you want except being an artist. And you know, like the thing is I come from a family of like well-educated people. And cause I was a good student. They had high hopes for me. <laughs> you know, they were like, she's so smart. You know, she's going to be a lawyer or she's going to be a doctor. She's going to do amazing, amazing things. And, um, and then I was like, I'm going to be an actress. Uh, and they're like, as a hobby, <laughs> like as a, like as a real thing, that's not a job. That is not a job, Monia. And I was like, no, no, it is. No, it's not. I was like, and also I'm going to move to the United States. And they were like, you're going to do what now? I'm like, I am. They're like, uh-huh, sure, honey, you're going to change your mind and you're going to be like everyone else and go to college and get a degree and have a boring life. Uh, they didn't say that, but that's what, you know, it was like for me. I was like, no, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, they definitely did not want me to do what I'm doing. And I think they're still struggling with that idea um, to this day. But, you know, what are they going to do? You know, I think... You can, you can try and like stop a child from doing what they want, but if their heart is somewhere else, then they're going to end up doing what they want anyway. So I was like, yeah. I just want to be happy. Cause like my dad had a really good job. And again, like we had a nice, a nice house and like we never needed anything, but I don't think he was truly happy, you know, like, and I saw that and I was like, oh my God, I don't want that. 
I want to go where my heart is. And my sister was super talented in um, design. Like she would always dress me up and like I would model for her. It was the most ridiculous thing. Like she would put weird things on my head and like dresses and she would like, here, toilet paper would be great on you. I'm like, what is that? No, but she would sometimes have really good ideas. And, 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 and she was like, I think I want to do something in design. Like I want to be a, a designer. And I was like, yes, that's great. And my parents were like, mm, you're not really good at drawing. So I would do something else, right? And then she completely gave that up. And then she did something in um, HR. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And to this day, and my sister got sick last year. I think you, you, you know, you know that she's better, thank God. But um, I'm like, now is the time. Like, do what you were meant to do, and you know, and create yeah. things because she's creative. But like, I feel like they killed that in her a little bit. Again, like my parents, they've listening to this, they're like, oh my God, you're like, you know, people are going to think we're horrible parents. They're not, they're wonderful. But oh, every parent, I think, has that worry for their kid and wants yeah. them to do something practical. And like, you know, my dad certainly never understood what I do. And, you know, at one point I was trying to share a script with him that I was working on. And he was just like, I don't understand what you do. I don't get it. Like, I don't. And when he finally revealed this, like, he, because it wasn't a business that he understood, he said, I don't know how to tell if you're doing well. Yeah. And I, and I don't know how to support you in it because I don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think in my family, it was a thing of like safety, right? Yeah. You need to get a degree, you need to get a job and it has to be a job that is not going to go away and then you'll never starve and then you'll never, you know? Right. And I'm like, you know what guys, that doesn't exist anymore. You can go to Harvard and get the best degree and do whatever you want and you know, get a PhD and da, 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 da. And then you become the CEO of a company and then a company goes down and then you've lost everything. Yeah. Like, so do something you love. Like it's, you have to, you have to. So I've told my dad this, I'm like, you know what? I just didn't want to be like you. And like, you know, thank you for providing, providing security and all that, but you know, to not be happy for 40 years, 50 years, which is how much you work. Like, no, absolutely not. So to answer that question that you asked like 10 minutes ago, no, they were not very encouraging of the artistic side of me. They wanted me to do that as a hobby. Like I can be a lawyer who acts. There's so many of those. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) So then you decide to come here. Is it, you decide to come here like right out of high school or, or like what, like. I decided to come here. I think I was eight years old. But I mean, you didn't actually come here at eight years old. No, no. But I made that decision back then, um, which I've always stuck with. And my parents I love it. and what happened and why. And I think it has to do with the Backstreet Boys. I think I've told you this before. Um, but I was a big fan of the Backstreet Boys, like huge fan. I had posters in my room, on my ceiling, like everything. I was in love with Brian Littrell. And I was convinced I was going to marry Brian Littrell, mm-hmm. um, who was like, 15 years older than me, like 20 years. There was not, there was never going to happen, but in my head it was. So I was going to move to Florida because that's where you should be. Right. Um, so I knew I was going to end up in the, in the States and I never got that idea out of my head. And my parents were like, she's going to change her mind. She's going to change her mind. Like nobody's ever left that far from home. Cause like, they're like, New York would be one thing. Cause that's like six and a yeah. half hours. This is like New York plus six hours by, by plane. They're like, could you go any further? I'm like, I could Australia, you know, that would be, that would be as far, as far as we go. But 
um, when I decided to move here was after I'd done uh, the conservatory for opera. And, um, and then I moved, yeah. And then that's when, that's when I, I was like, I'm gonna move. And the person I was with at the time was a US citizen, which is how I ended up getting my citizenship. Oh, handy. Because you are also a singer songwriter. I am, yeah. <laughs> Fun yeah. fact. Fun fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, anything creative, honestly. Like, you know, even as a kid, I was like, I wanna be a singer and I'm gonna be an actress and I'm gonna be this. Like, it just, I just have to be doing something, something creative. That's all, that's all I wanted to do. So, like, what was the hardest part of moving here? <sighs> the hardest part. And, um, and, you know, like, getting a foothold in this crazy business. I moved here not knowing anybody. Like, some people move somewhere and they have a contact, they have somebody, they have friends or friends of family. I knew no one. Yeah, I, I think the first, the first year was a little like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Um, but strangely, this is the first time that it felt like home. And I know that sounds really weird for some, you know, like my mom's like, what do you mean? Like Belgium is your home. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. When I arrived here, when I drove here from, from Vegas, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is where I'm going to live. And maybe it's because I saw it in the movies. And so there's, there's this weird, like, familiar, familiar, oh, I can't say that word, but familiarity, familiarity um, to, to Los Angeles that I was like, oh my God, yes, this is, this is it. Um, so definitely that. And then in the, on the business side, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anyone. So I was kind of like, I was just, young and bright not that I'm old now but like bright-eyed and oh my gosh but but still like not naive I, I was never I was never naive I think that's what saved me because you know there are a lot of uh oh my gosh I'm gonna put you in my movie and you know don't worry you have to be naked in it but you know it's it's, it's professional right? right and I'm like no like that may be the Arab side of me I was like you're no it's not gonna happen um so yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't given to me. I wasn't born within the industry, you know, which would have been lovely, by the way. Um, but, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have that, that luck. I kind of had to, had to make, make my own way um, and get to know people and work and take classes. And what was the first of the big things that you booked? Like the soaps or like, Oh, um, I guess the first, my first TV gig was General Hospital. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was the first. That was a long time ago. Wow. That was 2013. Wow, that's not that long ago, but yeah. <laughs> Considering I've only been here like 10 years, to me it feels like this was a lifetime, a lifetime ago. Yeah. So that was that was General Hospital, uh, which was an easy transition because uh, soaps are shot kind of like kind of like theater ish, and I mm. had done theater before. So yeah, so it was it was fun. It was fun. Soap operas are are their own thing, but it was really it was really fun. Awesome. And then after that, I booked like independent films, and which I love. I love 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 film so much because you get to play um, for longer sometimes than like TV TV gigs. So yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, that would be that would have been the first the first thing, and then I got into voiceover as well. Um, 
I think just because I spoke all those languages and they were like, oh, cool, which is my, my agent at DPN, David, um, really took a chance on me back then because like I had very little experience, you know, and DPN is one of the top <laughs> agencies for, for voiceover. Wow. So I was like, recently, I, bu- I booked something recently um, a week ago and, uh, and I was like, you know, thank you so much for taking a chance on me back then. He's like, oh, no, 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 you're welcome, you know, because... Um, it takes people years and years and years to get with that agency. And, you know, he believed that I, that I could do it. And I've booked a few things with him. So he's, I think he's happy. I would say you, you're one of the few, like that's one of the few segments of actors that can still be working like right now. 100%. Thank God. God. I have a, I have a studio that I built. No, I can't say I built my fiance, (laughs) my fiance built in the, in the garage. Um, I can't build anything. And uh, I got like a good mic and all of that, so I could so I could work from home because we're not yeah. going to work in the studio for a long time. Yeah. So yeah. then, tell me about when when you when you got when you got Wolfenstein Youngblood. Oh, that was like fun. That was so fun. Um, that was actually the second video game I I, I did, but this one was just much bigger. Um, my the most fun of it, honestly, was my fiance is a gamer. And he was so happy. He was like, oh my God, you're gonna be in a video game forever. And this is the best booking you could have ever had. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, So to see just how happy he was, um, was was amazing. And then then, um, it was was super fun. It was super fun. Tom Keegan was directing and he's wonderful. Uh, I had actually auditioned for him like three years before. Something completely different. Like I went, I went to producers for that and then somebody else got it. Um, also for a big game, but I can't remember which one. And, uh, and I don't know if you remembered me or anything like that, but I was like, oh my gosh, I had just for you years ago. And sometimes it takes, that's the thing with this industry, right? Like yes. it takes years. Sometimes you audition for somebody, they really like you, but you're not exactly right for that. And then three years later, you're right for this. And then boom, they, they book you. So, well, I think that's the thing for, I, for all of us to hold on to, you know, when it's like so frustrating, you go to the thing and you don't book it, you do, you know, submit your script and you don't get it. It's like, yes, but yes, but. building up the thing of people remembering who you are. And, you know, like I try to bring you on and everything I cast. Cause it's just like, wait, is there a thing that can put money in this thing or, you know, Thanks. so it's just like, I feel like that's part of it. And it's, it's easy to overlook that as a, yeah. as a positive. I think I forget who told me this, but it's like it only takes 15 years to be an overnight sensation. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like it's it's not like you wake up and then the next day, unless you were born in it and your dad is whoever Spielberg or whatever, then yes. Yeah. You know, but for everybody else, it's it's about it takes time. You know, and yeah. so you have to you have to stay patient. I'm not always the most patient. And I'm like, why is it taking so long? Um, but. I just have to remember that, yeah, it, it definitely, um, it takes, it takes some time to build those relationships. And, and I think like 10 years ago, I probably wasn't the greatest actress, you know, like I, I did more training and, you know, like I came out, like I was green, even though I'd gone to school, but you know, and you learn and, yeah. you know, so it's, you gotta, you gotta build those relationships and then do good work and then be remembered and then. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then. Yeah. Most of the jobs I've gotten were word of mouth, honestly. Yeah. You know? I think we're always building. Yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite role of all the things you've done? I have a favorite role. 
I did this independent film um, that's in post-production that's called Bad Luck, Bad Luck Dandelion. And I played this French, um, how, can I, how can I say it? I, I don't know. I, I played this French, this French character that was helping the the lead kind of come, come to her own, and there was like a beautiful, like semi-romantic relationship with her. Oh, there's my cat, oh, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> that that role was really really fun. I got I got to work. Uh, I forget how many days I worked on that, but I got to work multiple multiple days on that, and it was just really fun. And the the director Gary King is wonderful, and it was it was just a really pleasant really pleasant experience. Again, I like film because you get to develop the character sometimes more than a one day guest star or, you know, like it's, there's a little bit more creative, yeah. I think in, in film. So I really, really love that. So do you find that when you're acting in French versus acting in English or anything, is it a different, do, is there any difference for you? The only thing I think is different is my voice, which is really strange, but I think I sound different in French than I do in English. Um, I think my voice is deeper in English than it is in French. It's, it's bizarre. Um, so outside of that. Cause like, I feel like I have a slightly different, like I have certain personality things come out more in Italian for me than come out in English. So it's like, it's not like, you know, it's just slightly different things get emphasized or different. So, you know, it's like I'm a little different in Italian. I've never thought of it. I've never, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never thought of it. Um, I mean, French is my first language. So me, but then again, I've acted more in English than I have in French. So I don't know. That's funny. That would be the question mark question. I would yeah. have to watch myself. And I did, I did a little short film recently where I go from French to English. So I would have to be like, Oh, am I different? And you know, two Americans probably because they're like, oh my gosh, it's so exotic. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, on the whole exotic thing, have you, mm. have you dealt with, you know, discrimination, racism, exoticism, like things like that in, in your work here? I've dealt with um, what the hell are you-ism. Right. You know, because I am a mix uh, of European and North African. When I see that, people are like, oh my gosh, you're African? I'm like, yes, you know? Um, it's just that people sometimes have this like narrow-minded way of, of, they're like, oh, Arabs need to look like this, or, you know, your French needs to be like this, or so I think I've dealt with a lot of too much and not enough too ethnic to be white, not, a, not ethnic enough to be fully Arab or, you know, like it's been a lot of, a lot of this and a lot of that. Um, so I think that's been my biggest struggle. Like I would go out for those roles and, you know, and I would get callbacks and, and then the feedback would be like, Oh, she's not Arab enough. Mm. It's not this enough. She's not. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's been, it's been that that a lot too much right. and not enough too much and not enough well and i'm thinking too of like you know when i was in college we did west side story as you do and it's sort of just like every kid who's not white is now a puerto rican yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. get thrown in with the ethnic with the ethnic mix 100 but i think like right now 
there's a shift, right? And I think there's a need for and a desire for authenticity. And if that's the case, then that's amazing, you know, and I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm all for casting the right ethnicity for the right roles and even in voiceover and, you know, and then it's not that everybody needs to stay in their own lane. It's not, it's not that at all. It's that if we're going to be authentic, let's be authentic. Let's not cast a Japanese person to play a Korean role. If it's part of the story that they need to be Korean, you know, like let's let, if it's a Latina, let's cast a real Latina. And that would probably handicap me because I go out for Latina. I sometimes go out for Latina more than my Latina friend. Wow. But then I have another Latina friend that goes out for Arab roles that I don't go out for, you know? So it's like, if we're going to be authentic, which I think we should, then let's be, let's do it. Let's be authentic for, for everybody. And then, and then it's going to be re- real world TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. Real films and, well, because you, you would bring the breadth of your life experience to that role that someone who isn't actually of that ethnicity wouldn't necessarily know. Just little things, like little nuancey things that, I, that I, as me as a white girl directing, I wouldn't know to look for. But yeah. you would, would bring that and, I'd be, and you'd do things that I would never even have known to ask for. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. I agree. So I'm excited to see kind of what this year and I mean once we can go back to work you know this year and next year brings and if there's if there's a shift um in that which would be lovely lovely to see again not that I don't want you know when I go to an audition and it's like authentic Middle Eastern and then I talk to the person and they're from Argentina or you know yeah not to be like you can't have that this part but if they really are looking for authentic 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 yeah. And there should be a nice, a nice shift. And every minority then would be accurately represented. And yeah. that would be, that would change everything in the industry. Cool. That would yeah. be super cool. That would make me so happy. Because that's what I hate when I get the whole, oh, but we couldn't find any. So we cast, you know, just like, I know so many actors from so many different races and ethnicities and subsets of subsets that it's like, that just means you're not looking. Absolutely. I'm not trying. I know. I know. Or they're like, they have the specific idea of what, again, like an Arab needs to look like or a Mexican needs to look like, or, you know, it, and it's like, be a little bit more, more open-minded. Yeah. Not, you know, like Arabs, it's what some, somebody told me one day and I will always remember this, like, you're too pretty to be Arab. Wow. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, come, come again? pretty. Like what is that? Is, did that actually come out of of your mouth? And it did. And I was like, Oh my god! Like, is this? Is I mean, thank you, but you're like you're too stupid to be speaking. But I know, I know, I know, I know. That's what I'm still like. Ah! Um, so yeah, it's there. There's a lot of that. There's which is super small minded, but yeah, no, I have, I have heard, I have heard that. So you know, I, when you then. told me about your short film that you were directing and I was like I don't know what I was expecting but um I was so surprised by how it's serious and it's deep and it like has all these layers to it can you talk a little bit about it so are we talking about for the love of hate the the last one well that and ignofear like either they're both kind of talk about both of them okay um to be clear because that 
then they're like, you didn't direct that. I didn't direct it. I wrote it, produced it and acted in it. Uh, Lazy. I know. I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't direct to, um, no, I felt like I couldn't direct because that would just be too much. You know, when you wear all the hats, then you're not doing your job. Exactly. Yeah. So Ain't No Fear, that was 2016, I think. Um, Ain't No Fear was needed. um, And we shot it at my house with no budget. Uh, And the reason I did Ain't No Fear is I was getting really angry. And when I get angry, I create. Um, When I get sad, I write songs. When I get angry, I create. So this year, I'm going to be creating a lot. What happened is six months before I, I wrote Ignofear, uh, my grandmother uh, talked to me for the first time about, and my mind's are crying because she passed away now, but, um, oh. uh, and, uh, but she talked to me about the war and her father was taken away by the Nazis one day and um, thought he was going to come back right away because again it was kind of like back then you didn't you knew but you didn't know and uh and then he was gone for four years and then he escaped uh a train that was on the way to Auschwitz holy moly and uh because there were some people from the resistance that were that like messed messed with the train tracks and so he escaped um Auschwitz and then ran and like walked and found home and then Mm -hmm. hid and it was like a whole a whole thing uh, but my grandma was about 12 years old, I think, when it happened. And, like, out of the entire time I'd known my grandma, this was the first time that she actually told me about it, you know? And, and I was like, wow, this is... I mean, I knew about it, but she had never talked talked about it. And she mm. was getting choked up. And my grandma was very harsh, and she didn't cry. Like, she had all these rep- repressed feelings because uh, she had to. And, uh, and so this was the first time that, that she told me about it. And I was like, you know what, grandma? Like, I'm going to write your story. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm going to write your story and I'm going to play you. And she's like, oh, okay, that's nice, I guess. You know, very European, like, like, no, sure, if you want. And then as I was writing the first half of Igno Fear, our lovely, I don't even want to say his name. Don't, um, don't bother. Yeah. You know, a certain person that became uh, president uh, got the nomination of... Um, the Republican Party and was saying things like Muslims are all terrorists and, you know, um, all sorts of things that were just angering me. And I was like, oh, my God, if this guy becomes president, this is like the end of the world. And I was on social media getting mad at people because they were like, let's let's kill all the Muslims. Let's put them in a camp and burn them all. And. And granted, I'm not Muslim myself, but my dad's family is. And I felt so attacked by that, you know, that I was like, oh, my God, I need, I need, this reminds me of the war. This reminds me of the Germans at the time, the Nazis, not all Germans, just the Nazis being like, all Jews are animals and all Jews are, need to be, need to be put to death. And now we're like in 2016 and people were saying that about a different ethnicity about a different religion and I was like I can't like I can't like no more and so I wrote the second half of Igno Fear making a parallel between what happened back then and what might happen you know which we're not far from um 
you know, if, if this person became president and if people started hating on a different ethnicity, like I've never understood why humans always need to hate something, you know, it's like, we got to hate you're different from me, then I'm going to hate you. Like, and igno fear is like ignorance creates fear, which in turn creates hate or like it was something like that, that we came up with that, with the title of that. So that was, that was ignore fear. And I feel like it needed, it needed to be said. And then we were done editing the day that the elections happened. And I cried so hard because I was like, this was supposed to be fiction. Like this was supposed to happen. And uh, so I was really upset. Um, And then, you know, we did a couple festivals with that and we won won a prize for that. Um, So that was, that was ignore fear. And then for the love of hate, uh, again, (laughs) people are like, you've never worn the the hijab and yet you wear the hijab and everything that you do. because it was a misrepresentation. I think there's a lot of misrepresentation happening as well as in, in the entertainment business and uh, on TV and all of that. A lot of the roles I go out for are, you know, the terrorist or the terrorist wife, the terrorist daughter, the terrorist girlfriend. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is the only thing that is being written, you know, and it sucks. And so I wrote For the Love of Hate, again, because people love to hate, you know? Um, and uh, I wrote that with a different perspective and that sometimes, oftentimes, the bad guy is not who you think. Mm-hmm. And that it was the idea of like, if, if for any ethnicity, like if a white guy steals a loaf of bread, he's just, he, he just has mental illness. If a black guy steals a loaf of bread, he's a thug. And if a Muslim guy steals a loaf of bread, he's a terrorist. Right. Right. Yeah. How is that? How that just boggles my mind. Like it drives me crazy. And that's why I did for the love of hate. Cause I was like, sometimes it's ter- like, no, a white guy who's not necessarily with for bread, but like a white guy that shoots 50 people. No, he is a terrorist. He's not less of a terrorist than a Muslim guy who would do the same or than an African-American that would just like, it's all the same. Like that's not put people in categories based on the color of his skin or or their uh, religion, like just, it drives me crazy. And since I'm not in politics, I make movies. Yay, <laughs> yeah. we're the storytellers. Yes, yes, we have to, we yes. have to. Well, and as we learned last week with Michael Mack, who's right up there in the corner, um, no. you know, movie, the storytellers, of the theater is the social contract. So this is social context and this is, you know, this is how we change minds by doing what we're doing, so. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. I'm due to write something else. That's what I was going to ask. What do you, what do you, what, what do you need to say next? What are you writing I'm next? Due, I'm due to write something else. Um, yeah. It's just that there's so, I think like I'm on, I'm on overload almost. Uh, Cause there are so many things pissing me off that I need to figure out how to just like laser, you know, all of it in, in one thing. If not, like I'm going to write, 17 Harry Potters, you know, Monia, Monia's version of Harry Potter with everything that's going on. So I need to, it's just, it's just too much. Like I start writing something and I'm like, no, it's just going everywhere at the same time. Like I need, mm. I just, maybe I need a little bit of, of time to kind of look back and sit with it, you know, and, and be like, okay, this is how I put all of these elements in this one, in this one script. Yeah. And, and like the thing I try to always remember for myself and for my writers is like, you don't have to put it all in one script. There will be other scripts. 
Yeah. And no, for sure. But before I open it up to any discussion or questions, yes. what I think I kind of know the answer based on what you've said, but what would you, what would you want your 13 year old self to know? What would you tell her? Oh, my 13 year old self. Um, <laughs> don't give up. Don't give up. Never give up. Um, no matter how many people tell you you can't, if your heart isn't it, just go for it. You know, and I think I did, but I definitely had, I, you know, I, I did, but I had some doubts along the way. And I got a lot of people trying to put me down. I got a lot of, you're going to sleep your way through the top, you know, like I got a lot of, you know, like people not believing that, that I, that I could, um, so yeah, just, just don't give up and, and don't worry about what people think. Like there, sometimes people criticize because of their own insecurities. A lot of the time they do that. So I would definitely just keep, keep going, see where your heart is and not to zone anything out. You know, that's not your own thoughts, but just be, just be focused and, and you can do it. The sky's the limit, no matter who says what no matter who you're going to upset along the way, mm -hmm. you know, um, just keep going and follow your dreams. And it's funny. I was on a show when I was, when I was 11, a singing show, singing competition. And I sang this song that the title is, which is, I will follow my dreams. That was a song that I sang on that show. And it's that just follow your dreams. Just do it. Cause Look, the fact that I'm here in America and that I am acting and that I have been on TV and um, that I, I have, you know, yes, I can always have more success and all of that, but like I've achieved things that seemed impossible and that people told me would be impossible. And I'm really proud of that. You know, like I'm, I'm proud that I am where I am and, and I, I followed through. So, you know, I would tell her, you're going to be exactly where you want to be, you know, just trust and, you know, maybe make a few less mistakes during your teenage, teenage years, but aside <laughs> from that, you know, you know, you're going to love it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, cause that eight year old girl that decided she was moving here and didn't like, that's, that's about what I would have thought you would say. So. Yeah. 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 I love it. Well, um, we have a number of lovely people here with us. I think you're amazing. Okay. And one of the most impressive things about you to me is that the person that I see could pass for white and chooses not to. Mm. Chooses to claim all of who she is with what she does. Now, obviously, that doesn't fit into every role. But the point is, you're never denying it. Do you see my point? Okay. That is stunning. That is amazing. It is wonderful. And, and the other thing I want to ask you, too, which is in connection to business, because, again, the, the, you're talking so many things here that are fascinating to me. In Tunisia... When movie studios 
major productions like an Indiana Jones film, when they go to Tunisia, does it benefit Tunisian actors? I'm curious. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for all those beautiful words you said. You touched my soul and I started crying. So thank you very much. No, no. Bless uh, you. Bless you. If they hire Tunisian actors, yes. But I think a lot of the time they take actors who are either here or in England or in other countries and then bring them there. What I would love to see, obviously, is if they encourage, because there are Tunisian actors who are wonderful, um, if they hired, you know, a Tunisia Luka hire, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that just yet. Um, so that would be, that would be amazing. And also bringing crew that actually is, is Tunisian as well. My God, I mean, that, that's amazing. So what you're saying is they come in, they don't even hire local crew. As I know, no. And, and the best a Tunisian actor is going to get is going to be like some extra thing in the background, right? Yeah, if, if, they're using, if they're using Tunisia as a backdrop, which they did for, I think it was Star Wars, yep. years ago, they shot in the Sahara in Tunisia. I don't think there was a single Tunisian there. I think it was all imported, imported. Spielberg and Lucas go to Tunisia all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. all the time. Star Wars movies, Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. They go to Tunisia all the time, but... Mm-hmm. But what, what, what you're saying is that Tunisian actors really don't benefit from that. I, I don't think so. I, not, not as far as I, as I know. I feel like that's shifting too. I feel like now, I mean, maybe not guy, like the old school, the old guard, like those guys that have done that a million times or just keep doing it that way. But I feel like now, an, a, a director now going over for a movie would want, like I feel like it's much more likely that they would cast from locals or, you know, like Verite, just like, you know, pull people that maybe even don't have acting training, but like, I just want that flavor. Like I wouldn't want to bring actors with me. Mm-hmm. You know? I would, I would think so, but believe it or not, I just saw, I mean, a breakdown through my, through my manager where they were shooting in Tunisia, but that, there was nothing Tunisian about anybody on the cast, in the cast. That's what I'm saying. This wow. is exactly where I'm going, because the thing is, is that, okay, fine, let's get genuine, and so on. But what's the material, right? Yeah. I mean, is it Jim Crow? Or is it, right, real character work? Right. David Lean decided he wanted a real Egyptian actor for, um, for the role that, that Omar Sharif got. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is a this guy was a real actor. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's what David Lean wanted. That's what he got. And you know, my God, Omar Sharif. we got changed. we got Omar Sharif out of it, so that was pretty. We, good. we, yeah. we got um, right, right, right. Okay, but it's it's but the thing is, is if you don't do it from that heart and from that spirit, then what are you going to do it for? Mm-hmm. You know, to yeah. label and stereotype people, to further stereotypes and hatred. 
Yeah, right. probably. Yeah. Probably. Again, like I said, like a lot of the roles that, you know, I go out for are mostly, and, and I have once in a while, like there's been a role, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is not, this has nothing to do with blowing myself up. Um, but, you know, which I know is the craziest thing, but um, I think, like, can you name five Tunisian actors? No. Can I name five Tunisian actors? No, I cannot. You name one. I mean, me, but aside from that. <laughs> and you know why? They don't have access. Yes. Right? It's very hard as a Tunisian, and it's gotten even harder because then they have to leave Tunisia because, again, when they come in, they don't come into cast, right? They come in to just bring everybody with them. But then, so they would have to what? To move here to get a chance, which is kind of what, what, I, what I did. And I have a Belgian passport, which was much easier right. to immigrate with, but like somebody that just has a Tunisian passport, it's not easy to come here, right? And you know, when that whole like list came out, Tunisia was on there, you know? So Tunisian actors don't have the opportunity to really leave Tunisia and go act to be seen. So there are a million great Tunisian actors that just don't have the opportunities. Again, it's, it's the thing with the, with the art, you know, with the artist and me in, in that aspect is that I feel like I have to at least change. I always say, like, if I can change one person's mind or if I, if I can open up one person's mind, I've won, right? Because I'm not in politics and I'm not, you know, like, that's not, that's not my field. So I can't change the world in that, in that aspect. But, like, if I can, if I can change the narrative and, you know, then, then I've done my job. It's all politics. You're in it. Okay. It's all politics. You're in it. You're doing great. You're going to keep doing great. Thank you. To have lived to see a day that you can see peaceful protesters shouting Black Lives Matter all over the world that enslaved Black people. And, 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 and in some instances, most of them are white. Martin Luther King wanted to see that day. That was part of his dream. He didn't get to see that, but we've gotten to see that. Michael's my biggest cheerleader. Michael was the first black Romulan on Star Trek. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Congrats. To, to, to piggyback on the Martin Luther King thing, I had um, an experience a couple of years ago. I did a segment. I was a travel host for this for this channel that they were going to air in France, and they sent me to Memphis. So Memphis was my my hub, and I had to, like, visit Graceland and da 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 da, da. And then I, I went to the Lorraine uh, Hotel. They, they attached the Museum of um, Civil Rights, and, you know, so they had, like, statues of how slaves were on bo on the boats and like it, I just sat there and cried like I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried and I thought to myself every child in America should be required to come here every child in America sh it should be mandatory in Europe they send us to the camps they right do, you know I went to the camp where my great-grandfather was imprisoned was it hard? Yes. Did it make me a better person? Yes. Because I was like, I never want this to happen again. Right? Yeah, that's the point. If 
every school in America would make this a field trip. And, you know, and you go there and there's the, the exact spot where uh, Martin Luther King, Luther King was shot. They actually kept his blood there as well. Um, wow. But it is such an intense experience that I think everybody should live. And if they did, there, there would be a fifth of the racism that there is today. I guarantee it. I guarantee it because it works in Europe. It would work here too. It, I agree with you entirely. If it were taught, if the facts were taught mm-hmm. about slavery, failed reconstruction, Jim Crow, civil rights movement, the more we teach these things, mm-hmm. and this is the moment, this is the time. Because Manzanar isn't that far. I mean, like, we've got our own camps. Not not that it, it's anything like visiting Auschwitz, but, like, there are camps that are not, that are sprinkled around the country that we could visit. And, you know, I only, because, you know, there's a huge swath of, of, of our own history, in any history, that, that gets ignored because, you know, history is written by the victors, right? So... Um, I didn't even know that we had interred, interned anyone until college, I think. And then it was just like, wait, we would never do that. What are you talking about? And then my, um, my sister married a Japanese guy and his grandmother was in the camps and, you know, she talked all about that, the Japanese internment. And it's just like, and, and, and Allison chimes in there are kids in cages right now. Yes. So like nothing, you know, you just have to want to know. Yeah. When I was 13 years old in a Catholic school, I was taught that uh, white people couldn't handle the heat, Southern living, the sunlight. So black people said, oh, we'll cultivate this land and build your buildings for you. Black people volunteered for slavery is what I was taught. When I was 13 years old. Same, uh-huh. same with Jewish people in concentration camps. It was vacation camp, right? Like, you know, they were oh, like, Jesus. I've never seen Germany. I really want to, you know, like, it, it, it baffles me. It baffles me, like, everything that is taken out of books or never put in, put in books. But I think, like, now is, a, now is a great and exciting time to be, to be alive because we have access and we're able to share more information. I mean, education is our best weapon. So as creators and as teachers, like this is, this wow. is our job. I mean, I think it's great that we're looking for other planets and, and life on other planets and all of that. But I'm like, let's figure out how to get along within, our, within ourselves, right? Because yes. if we're already feeling like, I'm superior to you because of the color of your skin or I'm superior to you because my religion is the right religion or like everything like that. And we're just like people from earthlings, you know, we're earthlings. Why, what's, what happens when we have somebody from a different planet? Like what happened then? You we're going to kill them. We're going to kill them dead with fires. What's going to happen? My next trip, right? Cause it's, it's been centuries of that, of this like su- superiority complex and that, it's just, it's just bull crap. Focus on being authentic, you know, and in, in the creative world. And then I, I also work in voiceover. I'm, I'm a producer for this company called Buffla. We do like casting and recording and all that. 
and we make sure that we are true to the character, you know, even even in voiceover. And if and also if it's a tra- transgender role, that we're going to cast a transgender person. Like there is no no reason not to, you know. So we're you know trying on every every aspect of what of what we do. It's we have like how is it not a thing, you know? Like that, that's what I don't understand, you know. I meant to ask you earlier when we were talking about um, Wolfenstein. Yeah. Because I don't know it. I don't know what any characters look like. Did they draw Anais to look like you? No, she looks nothing like me. Um, <laughs> she looks nothing like me. She's like, she kind of looks like my grandma when she was young. Like, she's kind of like severe looking. And again, she, she was an ex-showgirl. That's part of the resistance now. So she's hiding in a bunker in, uh, in France. Um, so she's just like, she makes this face a lot like, uh, I say a brother there and da, 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 you know, like she's just like really, really dry. And, um, it's funny because actually when I booked that, that was, that was really fun. They had written her as kind of like friendly and nice and, you know, like, good job. You did it. You know, they wrote her as like encouraging and all of that. And then apparently the way I read it was very French in that, in that sense, and that it was That's very quiet and very like, Oh my God, like, seriously, you're back already. Like, you could have, you know, you could have done so much more, like, kind of like all of that. And, uh, and so when I, when I booked it, Tom told me, he's like, Oh my gosh, I love this character so much because of you. Because when, when it was written, it was written kind of like sweet and nice. And then your read was kind of like bitchy and, you know, and kind of cold. And it makes her so much more interesting. So I was like, Okay. (laughs) You know, that's, that's great. That's what you want to hear. Like, you changed the mind of the, of the director. Um, so, but yeah, but to, to answer your question, no, she doesn't, she doesn't look like me. She sounds like me because obviously it's me, yeah. but you know, but she's, uh, it's really fun. Well, they missed a trick. They should have made her look like you. I know. Maybe the, maybe the next one, maybe if it's like mocap, then, uh, then they're a little bit more, um, more precise with that. I would love, I would love to do mocap. I came close to a few mocap gigs, um, but it's, it's so fun. Yeah. I, I, I'm just so impressed with your choices because if you changed your name to Kathy Smith, <laughs> I know people who've done it. I know people who have done this. Okay. Yeah. And next thing you know, they've got a wasp name and they're working all the bloody time. You could do this. Mm, I will not. <laughs> yeah. I, I lead with it, you know, like on all my profiles on IMDb everywhere. I'm like, I'm Euro Arab, like, and I love it. I'm, I'm proud to be, that's what makes me me. That's what makes me unique. Right. And yeah, people don't know, like Monia Ayashi. What is that? Is that Japanese? Is that this? Is that that? But I'm like that it's me. And there is, a, there is room for me. You just have to find it and you just have to be open-minded enough to like make it. Next time on Hearthside Salons, Paul Goodenough's life is driven by projects of worth. This double Emmy-nominated writer and producer delivers projects for places like BBC, Channel 4, Nickelodeon. But he's also a passionate comic book collector and creator with The Chimeran, featuring a future where humanity's mass production needs are served by a purpose-bred race. Now he's helping save the world with a green new initiative poised for a major shift. Join us. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our 
theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages writing courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, check out pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.